I'm Chantel C. You can call me CC, and I'm joined by my partner in organizing, D Nice. Wow, wow, you're taking me back. <laughs> Every time you say that, I am in the Amboy Street Projects in Brooklyn. <laughs> I am seven years old. <laughs> Hi, Hello. happy belated Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. So, how did you celebrate? So, you know, I'm fancy now. I don't know if you got the memo. Um, so I went to a fancy place and have fancy food because, you know, my philosophy. Well, first of all, you know, there's a little CC on my shoulder when I'm cooking Thanksgiving. And I figured if I couldn't do it right, I just wasn't going to do it. I'm glad you know. <laughs> I'm glad you know. Well, was the fancy at least good? It was good. Okay, it was really okay. nice. I mean, like, it, yeah, you know. Sometimes I would do a little bit too much. Like, I don't know if I'm ready for some Austrian ceviche. Are you ready for that? You ready for that? I'm sorry, what? The, you, you uh, huh? No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was a bridge too far. But, you know, when, when we reeled it in, they had like amazing stuff. So, very high quality stuff. And what did you do? I cooked, of course. Of course. I cooked. I put my foot all the way in it. I didn't even make all of the dishes that I normally make, but I have to say my table was was what it should be. I even made a little video with my favorite song. I got the word in with Pastor Shirley Caesar. Made a little video with my my table set so that everybody could see that I got my greens, peas, tomatoes. You know what I'm saying? I, just, I had it all. I had it all. There were a lot of really funny things going around. My favorite, Tammy Roman, Bonnet Chronicles. She was giving a lot of speeches on what is allowed at the Thanksgiving table, what isn't allowed at the Thanksgiving table, who is bringing what, what kind of drama not to bring. Bring your own toilet paper. Bring your own paper Toilet towels. paper. <laughs> <laughs> goodness. She was like, look the hostage situation well, she, was like, she was like because you know you, y'all be taking like five six seven swabs around and then clogging up my toilet so bring your own toilet paper i'm wondering what kind of rules do you have because you're not a southerner so i need to hear from someone from new york oh what my it be? gosh <laughs> y'all are black oh y'all okay are Caribbean. So, was it different Oh my goodness. So Thanksgiving in my family is the family reunion. You know, some people have their like, we got matching t-shirts, yeah, we do it's that. July or whatever, yeah. and they my rent family. out a place. Right. That's cute. <laughs> but my my family has basically a revival. Uh-oh. So Thanksgiving starts. So all, I don't know, 300 of us get together in my mom and my aunt's house. That's a lot of us. You're talking on my mom's side alone. That's nine kids, over forty grand, over forty cousins. Mm-hmm. Okay, and most of us live in New York, and then we have children too. So it's like it's a lot. So if we're there. We're we're in Brooklyn at my aunt's house, and it's about two to three hours of um, praying 
and reading from the Bible and singing hymns. <laughs> you were ready. You're smelling the food now. Mm-hmm. The food is already in place. Some things mm-hmm. are cooking still, mm-hmm. but the food is in place and you having straight up church. You are having church and the food, that's, that's, that's devotion. Okay. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that'll test your faith right there. Um, and you know, Guyanese Thanksgiving is, you know, a lot of Guyanese food mixed in with a lot of American food. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone was saying on Twitter, they were like, I didn't realize Mexican cause they were Mexican. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that I was having Mexican Thanksgiving until I went to someone's house from another culture. And oh, I was wow. like, oh, what I, I was having was like, yeah, not everybody's having tortillas <laughs> at the Thanksgiving table. Hold on, hold on. Like I'm just saying, if you don't got cheese straw at the Thanksgiving table, you're probably not Guyanese. If you don't have <laughs> My cheese mouth straw, is gaping. cheese straw is a Thanksgiving us. Okay. If you don't have okay. pilori. If you don't if have you what? Don't have pilori. Oh, okay. okay. If you don't have black pudding. At the Thanksgiving. Oh, y'all imported the British British on the black pudding? Oh, no. You don't don't got black cake on Thanksgiving? You don't get that? (laughs) You don't got the curry goat on like No, I wouldn't mind some curry goat. I wouldn't mind some curry goat. All I'm saying is that there's a lot of Guyanese influence in our Thanksgiving, but we, we do the regular, the regular stuff like the turkey, the mac and cheese is to die for. Um, green bean casserole, we haven't adopted that. Uh, no, so bean- Bonnet Chronicles, Tammy was like, don't bring no white people. Don't bring no green bean casserole to a black Okay. I was like, oh, I didn't know that was well, only a white. the diaspora hasn't <clears throat> adopted that. That's like a consensus around the diaspora. Apparently. <laughs> apparently. I didn't know. Yeah. Okay. That sounds fun, though. It's a lot of fun and it's delicious. I mean, but I mean, I don't, I, w- I might be, need to show up late so I can get straight to the food part, but. You, you, what you need to do is tell me when we could do a Thanksgiving in New York and when we could do a Thanksgiving in New York and you could experience this, that I think would you would dope. like it. That would be good. But you, you should probably fast for two days before. Oh, Just- I'm, I'm ready. I know how to do this. I know how to, <laughs> <laughs> I know how to enjoy this type of Thanksgiving. Like- <laughs> Take a shot of apple. All you got to do is bring me into the room and I'll see you after a while. I'll see you. <laughs> you don't have to worry about me. My, my favorite at Thanksgiving is like when one of my cousins has like a new project that requires some level of networking. Like I remember I had one cousin one year where she was like, it wasn't Mary Kay or Avon, but it was like some Something makeup like line that. that she was, and she did a full face on me. It was so happy. <laughs> That's what you do, though. I love that stuff. I'm like, this is a whole, like, Black Enterprise networking situation. <laughs> it's really lovely. <laughs> I, I, I like it a lot. I really miss it. So what are the don'ts, though, at your uh, Thanksgiving? Ooh, I usually do the don'ts. I, I <laughs> take that. <laughs> I take the don'ts upon myself. Uh, this is true. This is true. Um. Uh, so since 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 my family is, is made up of mostly sanctified folk, mm-hmm. um, there's it's a dry Thanksgiving. Ooh, 
Okay. You're not ready for this? I, I you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> you could go somewhere now after the <laughs> You don't have to. <laughs> but like it's at the at the house itself is generally dry. Mm-hmm. And now my uncles do not respect this at all because no. the rum is always flowing. But um, but it's, you know, the official, official rule is that it's dry. Mm-hmm. So that's one don't uh, for the sanctified Thanksgiving. Um, we generally don't have TV except for Macy's Day Parade. That's hey. usually fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and like a game. There's always a football game on right. Macy's Day, right? Yeah, that was so, always. Boom. So that's coming on mm-hmm. um, at Thanksgiving. Um, and generally you do not like, unless you have been sufficiently praying, you're not going to eat like legit. There was like prayer orientation happening for the latecomers the people that were like, I'm going to come late and I'm going to skip. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's some people that tried that strategy and they got got taken aside and anointed (laughs) and they will try that again (laughs) (laughs) because the prayers. The prayers in my family are highly, uh, they're just reads. They're basically like <laughs> your uncle and them reading you like, Lord, bless this child in her sinful ways. I know she's at the club, Lord, but I want you to watch over her when she mm-hmm. is drinking her lean. You know, I'm like, <laughs> like, what? And Lord, I know she can't pay her rent, but oh, oh good. Oh my gosh. It's a lot. <laughs> Lord, help her with her edges. I mean, you just like, what are y'all doing right now? Y'all right. are just feeding me in the form of a prayer. So they're actually pretty hilarious. But, you know, growing up in my family taught me never to take anything too seriously, never take anything personally because you will get your feelings hurt. Oops. Thanksgiving is not like you better leave your feelings at the door at Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I think, that's, I think that goes for all black families. Yes. Leave it at the door. Leave it at the door. You want to come, you don't want to, because nothing ruins Thanksgiving faster than a Thanksgiving fight. Mm-hmm. I hate a Thanksgiving fight. Mm-hmm. I haven't had one of those in years. But Mm-mm. Generally, if I have a cousin that knows that some things have gone on and some things have been said and they just not ready for that level of drama, they're just like, yeah, I'm not going to be there. Right. Because because the older generation does not respect your feelings. <laughs> not, at like, not at all. Did you start at that at that really good college and now you at the community one? Is that what's happening, babe? <laughs> you, know, you just be like, whoa. But that's you now. That's that, that's what you <laughs> I'm the older generation now. You that is exactly what you do. So mm-hmm. I would assume so, yes. You know, a lot of people ask me, why is Thanksgiving my favorite holiday? And I explained that, yes, of course, it has uh, less than pleasant origins. But Mm -hmm. as I experience it today, it's the holiday that everybody celebrates. It brings out the best in most Americans. There's like pay it for it in November. There are people who, you know, invite you to their house because they know you'll be alone. You don't have family. It's Mm -hmm. not faith-based. And it's a lot less commercial. But Black Friday and Cyber Monday tend to want it to be very, very commercial. So there are people who have kind of started a movement. They want you to not participate in it. 
So Ryan Coogler, our beloved director of Black Panther, started a campaign called Blackout for Human Rights, which means that you skip Black Friday to protest economic injustice. There's like a whole bunch of Black folks who are, who subscribe to this. I think like Ava, you know, they're friends. Donald Glover, Michael B. Jordan, obviously, that's like his soulmate. Jesse Williams. And on the website, it says, quote, our lives are joined by the money we spend as consumers. Today, more than ever, the levers of power, civic, corporate, industrial, capital are tied to one another and to our economy, end quote. So they're asking for you not to participate in, in, in Black Friday and Cyber Monday because there are so many people who, you know, the holiday season is more than, than gifts and spending money. And why should you give all this money to, you know, corporates, basically? And, mm-hmm. e- and each year, I think this is like the fifth year, each year they have causes that they seek out, like, you know, survivors in Puerto Rico after the hurricane or the Flint water crisis and so forth. But my question is, is this really fair? Because, like, all the people I just named have money. Mm. They all have money. So they don't, and, need to buy, they don't need to buy things on sale. Right. But for those of us who live for the Walmart uh, mm-hmm. Black Friday or the, you know, the the Amazon now, time, or now Amazon Black Friday. afford the PS4. Right. It's like the only time that people who are on the lower end of the income scale can like really get in and buy things for their kids, you know, deliver a happy holiday season for whoever they're trying to deliver it for, even if it's just for themselves. Like, why should, you know, you, you practically a socialist, a communist. Why should, explain (laughs) this to me. Why should people not participate in these great sales? Yeah. You know, I shop there for, I am, you know, I mean, I think that there's, there's this um, level to which, um, any kind of campaign is going to demand more from the working class. We already know that. There's something about um, how, yeah, you know, how privilege is set up so that people that have it are, even if they're boycotting something or doing some sort of action, they have enough buffer to keep themselves comfortable. That's not always the case for people that are working class and working poor. The the issue with, with Ryan Kluger is I really... I really like that he's starting this campaign and at least putting a spotlight on economic justice. Um, the article that I read about it, I feel just didn't sell it enough for me. Mm-hmm. And I would be on the side of it. And that's not a good sign. The thing is, is that boycotts are a hard sell right now. Yeah. You know, it was, who was it that took on the, the Super Bowl? Was it Jimmy Jam? Oh, I can't remember. I'm not sure. Yeah, somebody used to work with uh, Janet Jackson and um, was like, yeah, boycotts are ineffective. Oops. And I think that that is um, a common sentiment amongst people that boycotts are ineffective. And so if you really want to roll out a boycott, not only do you need a lot of people behind you, and I, I think he had the, a lot of really prominent people behind him, but you also need to articulate what do you mean by economic injustice? You know, mm-hmm. what Bernie Sanders means by that and what even Acacia means by that are different things, right? Like, and those are two politicians and mm-hmm. uh, uh, quasi on the same side. And most people don't really understand what that means 
when the entire rhetoric has shifted to the right, so as far as it has. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you calling for? And does that have a racial element, the economic injustice? And what's going on right now with this? Mm-hmm. So I feel like it just, another thing about it that was very concerning for me was that the first time I heard about the boycott, and I am hella connected, but the first time I heard about the boycott was through you. Mm. That's not a good sign. <laughs> like if you <laughs> if you are only reaching Blavity Blacks, you know, it, okay, fine, you know, that if that's what your market is. But yeah, I I think what's what we've known so far about a lot of boycotts is that it does take some level of sacrifice and privilege for you to be able to do a, a boycott. And I think that if the boycott Black Friday thing was going to happen, it would be the middle class and, and, and the upper class that would have to lead that before the working class bought off. And in our second segment, I'm thrilled to have with me today, Kim Lolia, who I know and love and who I with whom I work regularly Thank you so much, Kim, for being with us today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Some of you, some of our regular listeners might remember that we did speak to someone at Black Pride. Kim, could you remind us what type of work it is that you do? Sure, absolutely. I am a coach and body worker and I specialize in women's pleasure. Ooh. (laughs) So what does that mean? What does a body worker do? How can I imagine that? So a body worker supports people to connect to their own body's wisdom and to navigate life from that wisdom. And that includes sexuality and it also includes lots of other things, relationships that, you know, go beyond that, work relationships, family, etc. And the way I coach, I invite the body's wisdom uh, as well as the mind's wisdom. So it's, it's a balancing act between the two. Why is women's pleasure something that you've specialized in? Why do you think that's important? I felt that it was important to to have a business that's focused on uh, pleasure that has basically been denied and and to really champion the idea that it's, it's okay as women to feel good and that our pleasure is our own. We're in charge of our pleasure. Um, It's, we've received messages since we've been little often that our pleasure doesn't matter and that it's somewhat secondary to men's pleasure. And I really want to challenge that. And that's why the business is called the Pleasure Institute. (laughs) Okay. The Pleasure Institute. I wonder, um, I know quite a few of my friends have suffered, for example, from fibroids um, or have painful sex that they just assume is like a part of life as a woman. Um, I'm talking about black women specifically. I also know women who, um, have never really found a way to orgasm with their partner. They can orgasm through masturbation, but can't orgasm with their partner. Are those the types of things that you discuss with with um, with clients? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I often see clients who have fibroids and um, various types of uh, conditions that they've been diagnosed with, like vaginismus, vulvodynia, things that bring pelvic pain. And sometimes they don't have any diagnoses whatsoever, but they're just not feeling any pleasure. And those are are very common um, situations. And usually, first of all, it's important to understand where the pain is 
because when you feel pain, you feel like it's everywhere, but often it's very localized in one particular area. So there's an opportunity to educate and say, okay, let's go back. Let's look at some anatomy. Let's do the sex ed we didn't receive in school and and really learn what's going on and where is what and how things feel. <laughs> and usually that leads to some surprising revelations that actually there might be pleasure in certain parts of the pelvis and there might be pain in certain parts of the pelvis. But the two things, you know, uh, can, can coexist. It's not like if you have pain, then pleasure is just not possible for you. That's That's not true at all. I mean, obviously we're based in London. Um, so I'm going to go out on a limb here and assume that you do have black and brown clients. Do you yeah. find um, that these particular subjects are more difficult for us to talk about? Or, or I mean, I'm just wondering because we talk about this on the podcast often that there's this thing that people assume, oh, being black and queer is much harder than being white and queer, which we often disprove mm-hmm. uh, with with different statistics that show that's actually not the case. Um, in each of those, you know, in different communities, ethnicities, you'll find that there's a stigma around being queer. Um, yeah. But when it comes to actually talking about sex, pleasure, your body, how do you how do you reach those types of communities? Well, first of all, being a woman of color, Um, And really loving my work uh, that I've done with Oya, for example, accessing um, the the well-being sector and connecting to other women of color and doing this work and just saying, hey, I'm a sex educator. I'm a body worker. This is what I do. That in itself attracts lots of women to me because there aren't many of us doing this kind of work. And And I think that's the starting point, really. We in in black and brown communities, we don't have those role models who are, you know, who do sex ed or or body work or therapy, um, not as much as in other communities in white communities, for example. So we're we're totally underrepresented and and we definitely need more black and brown sex educators in the world and in London <laughs> and in London. Yeah. Do you, is there touch involved in body work? Do you there actually is- touch your clients? Uh, there is some touch involved, yeah, and the the way the touch happens, it's a one-way touch. And if I'm touching, the the intention is for education purposes. So, for example, if there's scar tissue in the pelvis, one of the ways to release the scar tissue and dissolve it is actually through a very gentle type of touch. And uh, then, you know, it, it's a very consensual, slow process. It can take it can take hours to work on a very small area. Um, but often body work will be the thing that that works when other things don't work. And yeah, and the touch is always um, incredibly mindful and respectful and and totally, uh, you know, it, it, it's about clients really setting the pace and saying if they're not comfortable, you know, speaking up. And I only do touch after having gone through a thorough foundation on boundaries and consent, because it actually wouldn't be safe for me to do any touch based work without establishing that. And it takes time to establish that. Mm-hmm. When uh, I want to go back to something you mentioned with uh, sex ed. I, don't, I know that some schools in the U.S. have actually taken it out of the curriculum altogether. I'm not sure how it's taught here. Obviously, I didn't go to school here. What What is sex ed like in this country? And what do you think is missing from the curriculum? How would that change 
your how would that impact the work that you do or perhaps make it easier yeah so historically sex ed in this country is has been terrible when i went to school i basically just learned about condoms and periods and stds that was it and these days there have been some improvements but it's still really lacking what we're missing is pleasure focused sex ed so you know it's absolutely fine to talk about stds and stis but we have to frame it within the context of bodily autonomy and feeling good if we just focus on the scary things that can happen that can lead to you dying that's not really going to encourage a healthy sexuality <laughs> it's it's going to it's going to start building that culture of shame and fear that then you know people children and teenagers carry into adulthood that then eventually lead to um, clients having to come and see me so if we had great useful sex ed that is also lgbtq plus um centered and focused or inclusive we we would you know we wouldn't need sex education at a later stage so what i'm doing as a sex educator is often covering the basics because they haven't been covered at school they haven't been discussed at home and it's just a complete um yeah confusing muddled thing with often some traumatic events there as well so it, it's really important that we expand the sex ed curriculum. At the moment, teachers are so pressured to deliver the core subjects that sex ed is something that's kind of squashed in the middle of loads of other stuff. Um, but we we also need to have organisations that aren't, um, you know, teachers and schools going in, so outside organisations and delivering so that kids feel like they can ask questions and the person won't be their maths teacher who they'll see the next day. We, we, you know, we really need to have some variety and some different professionals who are included as well. But that really depends on funding. Sure. But what do you, the, I guess the fear for, even though if you look at numbers, most people, most people are, are leaving their, their communities of faith for one reason or another, not necessarily because they're, they don't find um, truth in it, but maybe they feel excluded for other reasons. How, how do you bridge the gap of faith leaders being concerned that when focusing on pleasure, you're going to encourage promiscuity? Mm. Well, that, that's a really difficult one to, to deal with because it it brings a lot of guilt. Um, what I would say is that by by focusing on pleasure, it's not necessarily about being promiscuous. So I, I teach self-pleasure to all my clients and that doesn't involve having sex with anyone else. It just involves exploring the body, even exploring parts that have nothing to do with the genitals, but just discovering where feels good and and how you how you can be, how you can be in the world with your body. Um, so that's definitely a part of it. It's framing pleasure in more, more open terms. If you choose to have sex, that's absolutely fine. But just because you learn about pleasure, it doesn't mean that you'll suddenly have to have sex. And, and that's something that faith leaders need to understand is talking about feeling good is a liberation. And it might keep people, you know, attending whatever whatever gatherings they have mm -hmm. um because because it, it will be a very healing accepting thing and as women when 
so I feel like a lot of women maybe experience their first orgasm quite late in life. Not all, but many, Mm -hmm. even queer women. Um, Is there a way with time to learn that maybe pleasure and orgasm aren't the same thing or not, you know, they're not, um, one doesn't equal the other necessarily. If that makes yeah, sense. absolutely. In order to really discover pleasure and to embrace the fullness of pleasure, you need to come out of the goal-driven obsession with orgasms. So thinking about, you know, I have to have an orgasm. This is my goal. If I don't have an orgasm, I'm, I'm not good enough or I'm not as sexual as my other friends who are having orgasms. All those thoughts are just really disruptive to pleasure you cannot feel good in your body if your mind is basically screaming all these thoughts about how you were supposed to do this thing and you didn't do it an orgasm should be something that's naturally arising but there's a huge continuum of pleasure and only a small part of it actually includes the orgasm the rest of it is just about exploring the nuance and everything in between and all the other possibilities and actually one of the things that I teach is, is to be goalless, is to have goalless pleasure. And when you notice yourself falling into the goal, letting that go, it's a mindfulness practice. Mm-hmm. Ooh, mindfulness. <laughs> now, you know, I like that. I do. <laughs> <laughs> what do you like beyond um, obviously pleasure and sex? What what brings people to you? What because I feel like this is this may be new territory for a lot of our listeners. So what other types of things, I mean, we've mentioned obviously some medical conditions as well, but what other things is body work useful for? Letting go of shame. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge thing that people find that they carry. I think as human beings, everyone tends to have shame and that they probably feel like they want to, you know, let go of shame that is particularly stifling in whatever area. And another thing that attracts people to me and my work is grief. So, Mm -hmm. for example, losing a a partner, losing a baby, um, some major life change and how that impacts the body, how it impacts the mind um, and and just general well-being levels and it's it's really interesting because I I do have a specialism within sexuality but I work a lot kind of beyond that and sex is a part of a wider more holistic way of being human and it connects to loads of other things so often I'm not even speaking about sex I'm speaking about grief or I'm speaking about um, fear of loss or I'm speaking about desire and things that aren't necessarily sexual per se. Mm -hmm. So that means, for example, for women who are older, perhaps going through menopause, there's still, there's still work that they could find um, helpful in supporting their lifestyles. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's so much. And first of all, um, going through that change of the menopause, noticing how the body's different and noticing how, there's also an identity shift and really being okay with that day by day, mm. noticing what you're letting go of, noticing what you're embracing as that major shift is happening is, is a big thing. There's, there's so much work that can be done around that. And there's a lot of joy and liberation around that as well, realizing that the menopause, you know, doesn't have to mean the end of sexuality or, you know, the end of vitality. You can continue being in the fullness of who you are 
through that change and beyond. This has been a great conversation. I wonder if there's any last thing that you'd like to leave our listeners with, because, you know, obviously our listeners come from a variety of uh, regions, backgrounds, uh, experiences, but in particular for our queer listeners, is there something that might resonate with us, might, that you might want to leave us with? Yeah, I'd like to say that everybody is different. And the thing that I hear the most in my sessions is, am I normal? And the answer is yes, you are normal and you are beautiful and be, be yourself in the world. You might think that whatever's going on for you is just you and that no one else has that particular thing. But as a sex educator, I often hear the same things. And I really want to say that as a message to, to people to, you know, to embrace their queerness, to embrace whatever's going on for them and to not be ashamed. That's beautiful. Where can people find you, Kim? My website is pleasureinstitute.org and you can contact me through there. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye. And in our final segment, what are we looking forward to? What are we excited about? So I'm excited about catching up on some media. There's a couple of things the the and, and this is this isn't new. But um, uh, Black Lightning second season came out. There's an amazing interview. Girl, you just not getting. I that? know, son. I know, okay. I know. Shut up. Okay. I told you. I I had already said it. <laughs> like it said, I qualified it. But yeah, um, there's an amazing interview uh, with the, the actress talking about being the first uh, Black lesbian superhero, mm-hmm. and the and and sort of like the colorism barriers that was broken by uh, Black Lightning. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to seeing if I could get a hold of the bisexual. So I'm trying to like catch up on queer media so I could have like a really educated sort of uh, critique of it or analysis of it. Mm -hmm. The bisexual came out on Hulu. Mm -hmm. And uh, I haven't heard good things. I don't know if I'm going to be super excited about this, but this is, it's really interesting how they chose to, to brand it. Um, I'm, man, I'm super excited about what the potential for the political shift in the States um, after the last election. I see you shaking your head. So we're not going to get too, too much into it, but I'm I'm excited about it for what little inchworm kind of progress that happened. And it is very inchwormy kind of progress. And there's two steps back happening too. So that was sad. I mean, I'm just, I'm really excited to go into the holiday season mm. because, you know, Vienna is the most beautiful season, place to be when, when it's the holiday season. Uh, so you mean it's, it's cold and snowy? It's cold, it's snowy, they light up the whole spot. They got the bling bling, they got the winter market on every other block. Like, you know. <laughs> I'm hyped. I'm However, hyped. you need I'm to hyped. sell it to yourself. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay. What are you excited about? What are you um, about? I really enjoy Trevor Noah has a new stand up on Netflix. It's an hour long stand up comedy, son of Patricia. It is excellent. I'm not a Trevor Noah fan. Um, he has his moments where I laugh, but I'm not a, a, a fan. 
but this one, there are some moments where I'm like, is he going to go there? But all, all around, it's very enjoyable. And he calls white people by their name. He calls racism Ooh. by its name. He calls white tourists in Asia by their names. So definitely check that out. Well, that's all for this week. If you'd like to keep up with us, you can follow us on Twitter at The Queer Truth. We'd love to hear your thoughts on some of the things we've discussed today. So feel free to get at us. And if you can spare a dime, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash The Queer Truth. Until next time, peace out.